Um, Martin this week is was at a, a theological conference with the EFCA in Des Moines, Iowa, and so he's not with us today, and um, he'll be back next week, uh, and he'll be picking up um, the sermon, uh, just talking more about just backstage. Um, but this week um, we have Larry Short, who's a, a longtime member here. He's been a community group leader. He's been elder. I think he's even been elder chair. He's been an elder most of the time that I've been at Elam, and he just came back on the board. And um, he's been leading uh, the Pulse community group for years, him and his wife. And, and um, so we're excited for Larry to come. In fact, I was just thinking about it, and I remember a sermon you did a while back, years ago, on, was it the Crimson Worm? Yeah, so uh, Larry always brings some great details, and just he searches scripture. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And and Jason Comerford um, has been helping um, co-teach uh, Pulse for years too. And uh, Jason uh, is just a wonderful young man, and, and I love him dearly. Um, so I'm I'm really excited about um, hearing what they have to say. So uh, Larry, Good morning. how is everybody? The sun is shining. There's no football game today, though. Sorry. <laughs> this seems a lot more people here than there was last week. I'm not sure why. Uh, <laughs> Seahawks couldn't win for one more week. Could yeah. <laughs> Good to God. Um, I'm really excited about today, and I'm excited for two reasons. Um, I think it's been probably a year since I preached, and the last time I preached, uh, somebody who will, rename, who will remain unnamed gave me two chapters, and I think I almost needed therapy after that. <laughs> This morning, I've got one verse, <laughs> and we've got one verse, so that means I have a half a verse, so I am really excited for <laughs> the, the ability to focus, hopefully. I'm also really excited because of Jason, so um, thank you, Brian, for sharing a little bit about Pulse. Pulse typically meets on Friday nights, our main meeting, and what we've been doing for the past almost 14 years is a chapter study in a book of the Bible. I think we probably covered most of the books of the Bible by this point. We, we take a, a chapter or a half chapter and we do a verse-by-verse study through it. And God has raised up in Pulse a couple of young men who uh, are just really um, passionate about his word, about um, it making a difference in our lives and about hitting the mark in the head in terms of truth. And Jason is one of those young men. Jimmy Martin, I think you guys know, is another one. He does a fantastic job. And Martin asked about a, a month or two ago if Jason and I would, would co-lead this, and I was really excited about just giving Jason the opportunity to, to share his heart with you all, because I know I am, I am changed as a result of sitting on, in Friday night, either when Jimmy's leading or Jason is leading. I'm, I'm changed by um, just the way we do verse-by-verse Bible study, and we're going to do things a little differently this morning, at least for part of this time. Uh, I'm going to speak for a few minutes, and Jason's going to share on the second half of the verse, and then we're, we're going to have a question-and-answer session. And when I say that, usually you think, okay, you get to ask us questions. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we get to ask you questions, because <laughs> that's what we do on, on Friday nights. So what we're going to do is uh, we have three, and we, the hardest questions we can think of, the most difficult questions, we have three questions we're going to ask, and I'll, I'll confess that we prepped Pulse. So Pulse, uh, most of Pulse, not all of them, usually are kind of sitting over here in this side, and I'll confess that we prepped them, we gave them the questions in advance so they could think about it on Friday night. So we'll probably look to Pulse first uh, to get us going on, on the three questions that we, that we ask, and then we're going to open it up to you guys to um, participate in that. We'll have a little bit of a discussion, so um, really looking forward to that. And that'll come, I'm going to share on the first half of the verse, and then Jason's going to share on the second half, and then we'll do that. Um, our prayer here today, obviously, uh, was as we were singing, I was hit right between the eyes by some of the words of those songs, and one of them was, we need to hear from God. 
You guys don't need to hear from me or Jason. What we need to do is hear from God, and his word alone has the power to change us. Whether it's one verse or two chapters, um, God's word, as Scripture said, is sharper, more powerful than any two-edged sword, and it can pierce us, and it can discern our thoughts and our intents of our heart. And so our, our prayer really is that um, God's word would be here this morning, active among us. And it will speak in different ways to different people. And that's only the Holy Spirit can do that. We can't do that. So I'm going to start us off in prayer, if I may, and just ask God to be present for that. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word and the opportunity that we have to spend a little time this morning just uh, soaking in it. We here in the Northwest are used to rain (laughs) and uh, used to a good soaking rain. And Father, we pray that your word would descend like a good soaking rain and would soak not only into our pores, but into our very souls, and uh, would reside there, and would change us. We, we would, we would uh, leave this place changed people because we've met with you. And that's, what, why we, that's why we're here. It's because of Jesus, as the last song just shared. It's why we're here on a Sunday morning. So we want to hear from you, and thank you. We invite you. Father, uh, speak through Jason and I, and just through others as they share this morning, and we open up our hearts to you and ask you to be present to change us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's our verse now on the overhead that we're going to be talking about, our one verse. I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> one more. There you go. And let's all read it together. If we would actually, if you would stand up, let's read God's word together. Just if you if you're able, just stand up briefly and read with me. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Thank you. Have a seat. Matthew five nine. My portion of that is the next slide. Blessed are the peacemakers. I have four words, and, and I'm only going to talk about two of them, okay? <laughs> Guess which two. <laughs> We're going to start with the word blessed, okay? This is one that we run over really quickly many times, I think. It's, I, I think we treat it kind of in a Christianese sort of way. We, uh, before we leave for work in the morning, we may see our neighbor on the fence and say, hey, have a blessed day. Yeah, okay, you, you too, you know? And we, we get to work... Um, I work in a cubicle farm, <laughs> and you know, you're working in a cubicle farm, there's other people behind you, and you hear somebody sneeze, and you say, God bless you, bless you. yeah, God bless you. You don't even know who sneezed, right, <laughs> necessarily, you just say bless you. Um, so we treat it kind of lightly, and we don't really think about what it means necessarily, and I, um, I was interested in, in what, why we say bless you. I mean, do you say bless you when someone hiccups, or coughs or anything else, you don't. Uh, you say, bless you when they see. So I was interested in why that happened. So uh, I'm going to refer to things that I see on the internet a lot here this morning. I'm an internet guy. That's what I do. Don't believe everything you see on the internet, by the way. But um, so uh, I, I did search on why do we say bless you when somebody sneezes. And what I learned was that Pope Gregory the Great, back during one of the bubonic plagues, when someone sneezed, it often meant they were coming down with a bubonic plague, and they would probably die. <laughs> so he would say, bless you, to bless them, ask for God's protection, and usher them into the next life if they died. We probably don't mean it quite that seriously when we hear people sneeze, do we? We're just saying good health to you. It's like gesundheit. You know, gesundheit basically means good health. And so um, we're wishing people good health when we say bless you. And uh, I know several different versions of the Bible. So depending on what version you have, um, there's all these blesseds in the Beatitudes, which is what we're in. We're in the midst of this, this series uh, on Beatitudes, and there's all these different verses, and they all start with blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And some uh, versions translate blessed as, anybody? Happy. 
which is pretty close. I mean, the, the Greek word is makarios, which basically means happy or blissful. So, so happy is pretty close. But I would submit to you this morning that if we dig a little bit deeper, uh, we will see that there's a little bit more to... When Jesus is blessed, there's a little bit different meaning than simply happy. Um, and if you look, this is almost uh, self-evident as you look at um, the verses uh, that we're going to look at. Uh, what, if you look at uh, the next slide, I like the Amplified Version. I don't know if you guys ever read the Amplified Version because it, it expands and kind of defines words. And it defines blessed. It's a little bit more than just happy. It says spiritually calm with life, joy, and God's favor. I really like that. That's a little bit deeper um, definition of, of blessed than what we've seen, seen in other places. And if you think about it, the word, if you just use the word happy and you replace it with blessed, it's a little bit counterintuitive when it comes to most of the verses we've studied in the, in the, um, the Beatitudes. And we're just going to look at them one at a time. As an example, blessed are the poor in spirit. When you tell someone, when you say blessed are the poor, either physically, financially, spiritually, Try telling a poor person they're blessed, you know. Uh, roll up to someone who's holding one of those signs by the off ramp and say, man, you must be really happy. <laughs> They'll probably say, well, I'd be happier if you'd give me 20 bucks, okay, <laughs> you know, or whatever, right? We don't think of being poor as being blessed, as being happy or blissful. And blessed are those who mourn. Seriously? If you're grieving, if you're, if you're struggling with loss, if you're sorrowful, is that happy? Is that... Um, Blissful? Blessed are the meek. Maybe this one's a little bit, we can understand a little bit more, but meekness, of course, is gentleness. It's um, power under control. Um, but when you think about it, many of the people that we celebrate, um, uh, I was thinking of uh, Chuck Norris. Uh, last night we went and had a family dinner, and um, our nephew had this T-shirt, and it was about Chuck Norris, and it said you know, things like... Um, the boogeyman checks under his bed at night to see if Chuck Norris is there. You know, stuff like that, right? Chuck Norris was not, we didn't really celebrate him for his meekness, right? Certain politicians nowadays, we think we're celebrating them because they hit you between the eyes between, with truth and their, you know, and all this kind of stuff. We don't necessarily celebrate meekness. How about, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Happiness and hungering and thirsting and, and so powerfully desiring something that we need, we don't, we don't often think of blessing. Blessed are the pure in heart. Well, we think that's, that's probably a good thing. You could be happy to be pure. But when you think about the definition, as, as we've spoken of it in previous sermons, uh, pure in heart means you are filled with one thing, purity. Your heart is filled with Jesus. And we have a tendency to fill up our heart with other things, right? That we think, this will make me happy, this will make me happy. I'm going to watch this movie, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll get a boat, whatever. These things will make me happy. We fill up our hearts, and that's our natural inclination. We seek happiness through a divided heart, not, not a pure heart. So I think the most, uh, so we, now we come to verse 9, and I think the most um, counterintuitive of all is, blessed are the peacemakers. And you say, why is that? Why would that be counterintuitive? So in order to understand that, we need to define what is a peacemaker, right? So I think uh, we define, when we look at, uh, look for a definition of peacemaker, if you go to the internet, if you go to Wikipedia, really interesting thing I saw with there was that there was a section on peacemaking that was called weapons. <laughs> All right? There's like a half dozen weapons that are called peacemakers. <laughs> this is a cult, uh, I think a uh, military version of the cult, I, I'm not even 
I, there are people here who could tell you what that was. I won't try. Um, there's, an, uh, there's a Peacemaker missile, an Amex missile. Um, there was even a gun called the Peacemaker on, on I think, the USS... Um, Better get this right or I'm going to be in trouble. A 12-inch muzzle loader that exploded aboard the USS Princeton that was called a peacemaker. And we think about it, oftentimes when we think about peacemaking, it's in the context of the use of force. So we have peace officers in our midst in this congregation, and they are um, empowered to um, sustain and protect the peace. They're empowered to protect justice. If someone is robbing your house, they're empowered to use deadly force if that person won't follow their instruction and get on the ground. And they do that with a pistol or with a rifle or whatever. Um, our military are empowered to use deadly force in order to, to keep the peace. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about things. And, and you've, got, you've got stories like Nagasaki, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, um, where the bombs were dropped. I was reading an article this morning in, in The Diplomat that said how Hiroshima and Nagasaki saved millions of lives. And I'm sure you guys have heard this, but um, they count a number of different ways that the toll would have been so much worse of the war if it had been allowed to drag on had there been a, a, a non-nuclear invasion of Japan and, and, and bombing of Japan and so forth. Millions of people would have died. Many more on our side and many more on the Japanese side. And this, art, this article also made the argument that by displaying the horrors of nuclear weapons, it's actually uh, prevented their use since then, which is an interesting argument I hadn't heard before. But peace through violence. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. So just set that one aside, and we will get back to that. Okay. I think our preferred definition of peacemaking, a little bit more civil, is represented by, I don't know if you recognize those, they look like coins, but they're medallions. It's the Nobel Peace Prize. And we award that to, theoretically, to people we believe have done extraordinary, extraordinary things uh, for peace. And I'll just uh, list a few of the folks that have won the Nobel Peace Prize. You will recognize Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, the Dalai Lama, Desmond Tutu, Lech Walesa, Henry Kissinger, even uh, Jimmy Carter and Barack Obama have won the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, now, we may not agree with all the choices that the committee makes in terms of awarding that prize, but, it, but the Nobel Prize kind of represents when we think of peacemaking. These are peacemakers that we hold up. It's, it's kind of the globe's highest award for that. I would submit to you that there is a peacemaker the Bible talks about with a capital P. Actually, the Bible doesn't use capital P, but we, we add that in because the Bible personifies peacemaking as a person. Now, you all know the Bible says God is love, right? And what that means is God doesn't merely love. He doesn't merely um, exude or exhibit love. He is love. That's his character. That's his nature. He defines what love is. And the Bible talks about Jesus the same way when it comes to peacemaking. Let's read a couple of verses together. Not, not out loud, I'll read them for you uh, on the next slide. For, and you're familiar, this is a Christmas verse we often cite. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's interesting, that's one of Christ's titles is Prince of Peace. He's the King of Peace. Uh, another verse in Ephesians 2.14, for he himself, and talking about Jesus, of course, is our peace, 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And we recently studied this verse in the context of two groups that Paul's talking about here is Jews and Gentiles. Now, Jesus himself, by what he did, brought us together, brought us Gentiles into the fold um, and made us uh, brothers in, with the opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of God with the Jews. And the final verse, but it's interesting to me, this verse says, he is peace, he is our peace. The final verse says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are all called to peace. So our job description is peace. We're called to peace. We're called to be peacemakers. So we need to understand what is that? What does it look like? And um, Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He's our example, our model. He's the ultimate peacemaker. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for this, for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Two verses later, Paul explains, While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And even way back in Isaiah, I think the next verse, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker because he paid the ultimate price for peace. There's always a price to be paid for peace, and that's something I think that we need to recognize here. Peace isn't free. In, in, in Jesus' case, it cost the ultimate price. He laid down his life, he shed his blood to reconcile us to the Father. And uh, the really interesting thing here is then you'd have, you have to say, well, if, if Jesus is, is the ultimate peacemaker and the Beatitudes are a mirror that Jesus holds up that reflects uh, himself to us, they're all speaking of him and his character, uh, then what, what, are, what is the blessing in that? What was the blessing in the cross for Jesus? And the cross was not blessing. The cross was the worst um, instrument of torture ever devised by the Romans. And Jesus wasn't happy about going to the cross. We know that from the garden where he sweat great drops of, of, of blood. I mean, he was so stressed about just the price that had to be paid. But, okay, but he was willing to do it. And, um, and there's a verse I think is key here. It's Hebrews 12.2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, the the joy set before him was the reward at the end of the path, right? It was us. He was taking the long view. He was taking the obedient view to the Father. And it wasn't the cross itself. He endured the cross. It wasn't the shame. He scorned the shame. But the joy set before him was us. And that's a key insight, I think, into the meaning of the word blessed. Blessed is um, something that happens despite our circumstances, right? And it's really uh, interesting to me to see um, Greg Laurie talks about the island of Cyprus. And uh, Cyprus is known by the Greeks, they use the word makarios when they're, when they're talking about Cyprus because it's an ideal location, it's an idyllic climate and everything. And they say, well, if you want to be happy, go to Cyprus. You haven't made in the shade, right? Well, I, I actually discovered on the Internet a photo of this couple is sitting on the beach in Cyprus, and they're obviously not happy. So you can find anything on the Internet, right? <laughs> <laughs> unhappy couple on the, on the island of Cyprus. Because your circumstances don't dictate your, how blessed you are, right? It's, uh, Greg Laurie says that blessing is self-contained. That means it occurs despite your circumstances, true blessing. Self-contained happiness, he says, 
and blissful spiritual calm. A life joy in God's favor occurs despite our circumstance. I know practically for me that's not always true. Jason's going to talk about this a little bit, but how do we, how do we practically make this true? One other thing I want to point out before I close, and that is um, the definition of the word peace. You all know what that is, right? Peace. When I say peace, what would you, in Hebrew? Shalom. Do you know, do you know what shalom means? We've talked about shalom, holistic, abundance of life, um, prospering, um, all different aspects of the word shalom. But the meaning of the word literally is, it has been paid for. Which I find fascinating. When a debt is paid, like the debt that Jesus paid for us, then shalom is possible. So what does this have to do with us? I think the call to us is to, we cannot create shalom. You and I cannot. We don't have the ability, the power, the capability. But what we can do is create the space that that Jesus can enter into a situation of conflict between two parties, and he alone can create the the shalom in that situation of conflict. So Jason's going to help step us through the next half of the verse and the implications it has on exactly how and why we as children of God are to be peacemakers. Morning, everyone. Now, I'm a little short on time, so I'm going to dive right in, and we're going to work through this. It's not my fault, I'm sure. (laughs) Not at all, Larry. Uh, But before we do, I have something very important to take care of. Where's the camera? Greg. Hi, Mom and Dad. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so I, of course, am taking the last half of the verse, uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So uh, let's start with a little bit of context first. Uh, The Greek word here is uh, son, and it's... Well, the Greek is unpronounceable by me without sounding really silly, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, But suffice to say, it does literally translate as son, whereas, as you saw, some of the translations say children. Now, this statement definitely applies to both men and women, but the author uses son for a specific reason. The word has, in ancient Middle Eastern culture, some legal connotations and cultural roots that are a bit different than ours. Uh, Now, back then, one of the ideas was that sons, on many levels, were going to be just like their fathers. Uh, Part of this made perfectly good sense. If your father was a blacksmith, you would be a blacksmith. If your father was a carpenter, you excuse me, you would be a carpenter. Uh, Your dad was your only source for learning a trade, usually, so it made perfect sense that you'd follow in his footsteps. Uh, The other part of this was the assumption that you'd be like your father in terms of moral character. If a father was a thief, a liar, and a brute, people were going to assume that you would be of the same moral persuasion. Uh, If your father was a pillar of the community, honest and just, it was just assumed that you were going to be just as well. So the first thing we should observe about our text for today is that when Jesus says peacemakers will be called sons of God, he means that your identity as a child of God is going to be recognized by your behavior. So if you're in your dad's forge and you're smelting iron and a client walks in, that client's going to think, oh, that must be the, uh, the blacksmith's son. If you're sanding down a table when someone walks in on your dad's shop, they're going to think, oh, that's, that's probably the carpenter's kid. And if your regular habit is to sow peace wherever you go, well, lots of people are going to recognize whose son you are. And this is important to recognize. Uh, The children of God act just like their heavenly father. Jesus himself said that you will recognize his disciples by their fruits, that is, by their behaviors and actions. So you can tell who follows Jesus because they act something like Jesus. So this is not an earning. This is not an earning of sonship. And this is no small point. This is very important. Sonship 
is a free gift for those who put their faith in Jesus. Those who hope in Christ receive forgiveness of sins, a a joyful, glad welcome into the family of God, and a brand new heart. And one of the many things that this new heart does is long after peace, mourn over loss of peace, and endeavor to bring peace where there is none. Being a peacemaker is something that is first given to you at salvation, and it's something that begins to work itself out, not because of any initial effort you put forth, but because the Holy Spirit has started that work in you. The foundational work of change is always done by God, and though we definitely actively participate in it, Uh, it's always God's miraculous power working in us that enables anything we do. Now, if you're anything like me, chances are that many of your sinful desires in your heart haven't totally disappeared since you started following Christ. I'm still being sanctified. Can I get an amen from someone other than my wife? Thank you. Uh, so maybe you look in your heart and you find that you still want to gossip, or maybe you still bully your younger sibling, or maybe you start fights at home, or maybe you're just completely apathetic about making peace making entirely. This is a pretty fearful place to be. And yet it's where many of us find ourselves. We ought to be peacemakers, all of us. And yet we find that by and large, we are not at least not as much as we would like to be. And this isn't an issue that is fixed simply by doing more things. Remember earlier when I mentioned that you don't earn sonship by peacemaking? The behavioral change that we're after as Christians, where we act like our Heavenly Father by being peacemakers, that behavior comes from the heart. So our question as Christians then becomes not, how do I do more peacemaking things, but how can I change my heart? And you know, I think the Bible has a fairly simple answer for us. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory, of, excuse me, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this seems to reflect some kind of rule about our human nature. We become like what we love. The things we watch, the things we enjoy, the things we think about, the things we invest our time and our money in, these shape and mold us into something. We know from Hebrews uh, 1.3 that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. So if you're a Christian, and I'm assuming most of you are, and you want to be more like Jesus, one of the most powerful things you can do is meditate on Jesus. Behold him. Think about him. Sing about him. Be in awe of him. Worship him. And you'll find that as Jesus is your treasure, your focus, your hope, your joy, your delight, you'll start to walk away a little bit different. Gossip will be less juicy and interesting. Foul movies will be less entertaining. The ways of this world will simply start to appeal to you less. The more we gain a taste for the goodness and pleasures of holiness, the more we'll start to lose our appetite for this world. Elam, this is important. When we fall out of love with the world and more in love with Jesus, we start to feel and behave a little bit differently. Now, I've got some final thoughts before Larry and I start pelting you with questions. We'll try to get through these pretty quick. 
Uh, first, being a peacemaker, practically speaking, doesn't necessarily mean being a peace achiever. The peacemaker that God calls us to be longs for and works toward peace. But that doesn't mean the longed-for peace happens. Paul said in Romans 12, 18, live, in, live at peace insofar as it depends on you. Peace might not happen due to things beyond our control. And as painful as that might be, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're failing as a peacemaker. Second, Make prayer one of your priorities. You have a good and loving and kind Heavenly Father who opens blind eyes, unstops deaf ears, and raises dead people. Mm -hmm. Nothing is too hard for him. Whether it's changing your own heart or bringing peace to the worst possible situations. To quote Jesus, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Third, and most importantly, if you get nothing else from today's sermon, remember this. Christ is the ultimate peacemaker because he paid the ultimate price. Christ, the cornerstone, will always be the foundation of our peace and peacemaking. Now with that, we have some questions for you. Larry, you want to start us off? I'll start. I'll pelt you with this question. (laughs) As Jason so eloquently, eloquently put it. Okay. Our first question is, and go ahead and put it up on the slide. How can we, practically speaking, work to create space to allow Christ to enter into the relational conflicts in our lives? What does this look like? And think of examples that you guys have experienced in your life. So we talked about pretty theoretical levels, you know, creating space for Jesus to enter into a situation. How do you do that? What does that look like? Thoughts? Pulse. <laughs> or said more simply, how do we be peacemakers? Thank you. <laughs> We have this tendency in Pulse, I write really complex questions and other people break them down so they're simple. So So practically speaking, when I'm in conflict with somebody and I'm feeling angry, I need to take time and space before I meet with that person to hash it out. And the more angry I am, the more important that is to take time and space. Mm. Then to use that time and space wisely, and instead of just thinking about how wrong they were or seething in anger against that person, is to go to God and say, how would you like me to respond? Look at the example of Jesus. How does he respond to people who he's in conflict with? And maybe get some wise advice from trusted friends. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my wife, and she's really good at this, by the way, and I'm not quite so good at this. And I had an opportunity to practice this this week. I had... Uh, difficult meeting with my boss at work. I was angry at her for some things that she challenged me. And uh, the next morning, I'm driving to work in my car, and I'm like, okay, I should pray about this. And I ranted. I dumped on the Lord for about 15 minutes. This is why I'm so angry at my boss. After a while, there was a little bit of silence. It was kind of like he said, okay, good, take a breath, shut up and listen. (laughs) And what he told me was, yeah, thank you. What he told me was, okay, the problem is not your boss. The problem is you. It's your heart. (laughs) And... Sorry, I'm hitting a nerve here, it sounds like. And, um, and your hardness of heart, and what you need to do is let me soften your heart. And so we proceeded for the rest of the drive into work. He worked on my heart, softened it. But I got to work, I, I shed some tears, and I was just like, oh, Lord, thank you, that really hurt, but thank you, that's what I needed. And, and everything turned around. My perspective, because my perspective had changed, and it wasn't me, it turned around. So that's exactly what you're saying. If, if, you, don't, if you respond immediately to things when you're upset, that's not peacemaking, is it? You need to create space. Any other thoughts? I know it's going to sound really cliche, but they made 
millions of dollars on lanyards and wrist bracelets that said, what would Jesus do? Yeah. And I literally do much better when a conflict arises and I think first, what would Jesus mm-hmm. do instead of what would Steve do? Mm-hmm. And it, it's a state of mind, and I guess that's part of keeping Jesus at the center of everything we do on a daily basis. Why is it so hard to think about Jesus first when you're in conflict? And that's the yeah, yeah. Just practice it. Get in, get in the habit. Think about Jesus first. Yes. Uh, I'll say it really quick. Mr. I'll be Mike? really brief. Um, oh, if anybody else is like me, uh, whenever I'm in conflict with somebody, I'm immediately thinking about how I'm going to react in that moment. Oh. If I'm listening to them and I'm offended by what they say, I'm too busy about thinking about how I'm going to react. And so I would actually apply fasting before I actually interact with that person. If I know that during the week I'm going to see them or I'm going to have coffee with them and I have that tendency to react in conflict with them, I'm going to fast because so many things in this life are a distraction. And we invest time in other things like Facebook or video games or what have you. Uh, If you take those away and you focus on Christ intentionally before you meet with that person, then those conversations with that person will change. Yeah, that's great. That's the that's the purpose of fasting is to refocus our attention. And fasting goes hand in hand with prayer. And, and Jason talked about the importance of prayer in the midst of this. In order to hear from God, in order to allow Him to enter into a situation, we have to pray. I, I guess I, I would say um, something that me and my wife has been learning um, in the last, um, I'd say, about a month is is that. Conflict normally arises when we are focused on ourselves. Yes. And so a lot of the issues that that we used to have, a lot of the issues and the problems that we used to have relationally with people is, is that we would be focused on ourself or self-preservating. And so that when we, when we die to ourselves and we let Christ live, we're able to love, you know, God and love them. And then we're able to be Christ to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Amen. Amen. And that's what Jesus said. He wasn't thinking about himself when he's on the cross. He was thinking about us. Stan, did Stan. you still want to answer? I saw your hand up earlier. <laughs> uh, I fail on this probably daily, but uh, slow to speak and quick to listen. Mm-hmm. So listening to others, uh, try, seeking to understand uh, where they're at, where they're coming from, their background, because oftentimes what we see on the outside doesn't explain what is really going on on the inside, just like Jesus said, you know, Jason yeah. alluded yeah. to the heart. So what is really going on in the heart? So, Sorry, we're a team. <laughs> so I would add to that, and I think I'm just echoing pretty much what everybody else is saying, is sometimes it's just a lot of assumptions that we can make. So one thing... I, to slow me down in the peacemaking process is taking ownership of my part in it and then not um, jumping to assumptions of what the person is meaning or saying or doing. I need to, like Stan just said, seek to understand the situation so we can bring peace into it because that's my ultimate goal as a believer is to walk in that peace. Mm-hmm. Amen. I would agree with that. Understanding is not the only thing, but it is hugely important. So many times I've had anger or hurt or frustration just melt away as soon as I understand where someone's coming from. Oh, I've been hurt in that way. I've been afraid this way. And suddenly their behavior makes 
perfect sense, instead of being angry, I feel mercy. So, Jason, we have uh, one time for one hardball question, I think. Uh, yes. Would you like okay. to take that? Yeah. So, Larry, if Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker, then it seems to me we ought to be able to look at his life and ask the following question about every situation in which he found himself. What does peacemaking for Jesus look like in this scenario? I agree. Okay, then, if that's the case, congregation... What did peacemaking look like, do you think, in the life of Jesus when in his very last week on earth, Scripture says he took a whip made of cords and drove money changers and salespeople out of the temple forcefully and violently? How was that peacemaking? <laughs> you guys ought to come to Pulse on Friday night. We have a lot of fun with this. Tough questions. It's great. Sebastian in the back. <laughs> Pulse, any thoughts? Oh, Sebastian. Oh, Sebastian, I'm sorry. So this is my uh, personal view of this. Uh, soldiers in general are the individuals who have the greatest love of peace. And there are some things that you need to f- be willing to fight for in order to achieve true peace. Uh, so so I, I think that there, there we have a view of God as a gentle lamb all the time. And I think that, that is not the accurate representation of his whole uh, personality. So, so I, I feel that he is the shepherd, and so a peacemaker uh, guards his sheep. Mm-hmm. So that's my personal view, is that there's a role for more significant action as a shepherd. Shepherd's willing to take that staff and break it over the head of a lion, right? Great point. Any other thoughts? Anyone else? Coming. Run, Brian, run. I think also it's important to ask ourselves with what Christ did is, was Christ trying to make peace in the sense that the, the modern word today, which is to please, to you know just simply... Please somebody, people pleasing, I think is what it's called. Is is that our goal as Christian? Is it to people please or is it to make true peace? Like Sebastian said, which is sometimes we have to fight the fight to 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 achieve peace. So it's important that we're making sure that we're not people pleasing, but that truth is one always being spoken because it is black and white. And yeah. then also to make sure that we are praying before we go into conflict. Mm-hmm. God had a direct connection, or Jesus, he had a direct connection. So, you know, he was in the Lord's will, and that's what makes it peaceful. Yeah, he said he never said anything or did anything except what he heard from the Father. Yeah, there's a placard in Martin's office that says, um, I perform for an audience of one. And I think Jesus' concern in that situation was the Father, his glory, his honor. Um, what, what is, because what they were doing, Scripture says, um, was profaning the temple. Uh, and, and his disciples remembered that it was written about him, zeal for thy house has consumed me. And that zeal was Godward. It was recognizing the, the Father was the one who was being kicked to the curb in this. And he, he wanted to write that situation. I think there was a second aspect of this as well. Uh, Jeff has the mic. Okay. I believe he has an answer he wants to okay. pitch. Yeah, I'm just going to repeat a little bit of what you just said. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. We're, we're thinking alike on this, and that's uh, groovy to me. So God, is, God has represented himself and is holy. 
fact, I think it's um, that attribute is the only one that's repeated three times um, over and again uh, next to itself that God is holy, holy, holy. Mm-hmm. And when he is representing himself and is that way, um, that involves justice being done yes. and being brought forth. And that's where peace is found, is when justice has been accomplished. And so we see Jesus at the end of his earthly life accomplishing that justice in several ways. One of the ways is to represent the holiness of God and um, not that let that be trampled upon and um, continue with that. He continues with that justice by saving us through the cross. And so I think these two things go, go together. We see Jesus violently opposed to the injustice of trampling on God's holiness. And that same power and that same passion he puts forth to crush sin upon the cross. And so we can see by this that he's for us in so great a way. Amen. Amen. And in in this situation, that injustice was not just applied against God. It was applied against poor people and people who were bringing their their doves into the temple, and, and the money changers are saying, oh, that dove's got a blemish here. Let me sell you a perfect dove for five times the price or whatever. So it, it was economic injustice, it was social injustice being done against uh, people in the temple as well that I think his zeal is being poured out at. Yes, Brian. One of the things that, uh, that I've noticed in, in the times when Jesus showed what we would call violent actions towards others it was always towards those that considered themselves holier than <laughs> than the others. Yep. Uh, they were the ones that were supposed to be the leaders, the, supposed to be the protectors yep. Yep. of the flock. Yep. Amen. Instead, Jesus called them wolves in sheep's clothing, and all he was doing by driving them out was exposing who and what they were. Amen. Yep. Beautiful. Time for one more. I have more issue with like the verse in Matthew uh, that says, I have not come to bring... <laughs> that was our third question, which we don't have time to get into. Unfortunately. Go ahead. It's a good question, though. <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, and honestly, we don't have time to do it. So come so, to folks, Pulse, and we'll discuss that question at Pulse next Friday night. Or okay? discuss it amongst your family after church. That's a really good it's study question. It's a great question. question. It's a great question, yeah. So you know the verse... Uh, he's talking about, you know, I, I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. If Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker, what in the heck did he mean by that verse? So it's a great question. So, but we don't have time. So, Jason, would you like to close us in prayer? Absolutely. Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your mercy and your goodness and your kindness and love and tenderness towards all of us. Father, we ask that you would uh, open our eyes to see your peace. Uh, that we would be able to see your glory and be so taken by it that our, our thoughts and our actions and our behaviors would be molded to be more like yours. Father, we love you and thank you for all the good that you've done uh, in and through Jesus Christ and all the good that you're going to do in and through us. Amen.